And Isabel sitting in the corner there. Sometimes she's out of sight and forgets she's there. And I get to hear the organ. I don't know how much you get to hear it out there, but I get to hear it. So. <laughs> Psalm 58 tonight. Psalm 58. As we continue, 59. I'm sorry. We spent so long in 58. I think everything's 58 by now. So, but we're going we're gonna to do Psalm 59. 59 tonight. We're going to go uh, verses. Um, I think we're going to be doing verses uh, four or five uh, tonight for sure. Well, let's kind of get caught up. We'll go back to verse one, and we'll move right through to uh, verse five. O God, Thou hast cast us off. Thou hast scattered us, and that's verse, that's 60, I want to be in 59, I'm sorry. Deliver me from mine enemies, O my God. Defend me from them that rise up against me. Deliver me from the workers of iniquity, and save me from bloody men. For lo, they lie in wait for my soul. The mighty are gathered against me. Not for my transgression, nor for my sin, O Lord. They run and prepare themselves without my fault. Awake to help me. And behold, I said that basically, I don't want to, I, I use the word political. I use the word political. But righteousness knows no bounds. And if you're going to address wickedness, you have to address it no matter where it exists. If it exists in a political party, you've got to deal with it. If it deals with a within a uh, congregation, you got to deal with it. If it deals within a Bible college, you got to deal with it. And in a lot of cases, a lot of a lot of pastors won't send their won't send their young people to certain particular colleges that used to be great colleges in the past, but they have so wandered down the Word of God, and they have so uh, uh, well they, they they they've been changing because preachers. We'll call up and say, well, I don't like this about this. We don't like this about that. We're not going to send our kids there anymore. So the colleges will make changes rather than simply standing their ground. And so as God's people, we have to stand against uh, unrighteousness no matter where it exists, whether it's in our party or not in our party. Or where, I mean, be honest with you, uh, righteousness is what we follow, not a party. Amen. We follow righteousness. If that righteousness doesn't exist within a particular party, then then I'm not going to be a part of it. I certainly wouldn't vote for anybody within that particular party, a Republican, uh, liberal, or uh, Democrat, or otherwise. I wouldn't. I would not vote for a candidate in there. So I had mentioned last week that people have been intimidated uh, into silence, and and one of those ploys that has been used is that politics and religion don't mix. Well, you don't have to mix them to address righteousness. And so, they don't mix, and oftentimes the reasoning is there's two different ideologies at play. And, and this is actually within the political arena is where two ideologies collide. There is the biblical ideology that God is always right. God is always righteous. And man is not. And so when, when politics and, and righteousness collide, you've got to deal with it. It's the same thing within pulpits in America. You as an individual, you have to determine whether that preacher is preaching the word of God. If the preacher is preaching righteousness and he's taken a strong stand and the church itself is taking a strong stand now some people walk through those doors and say your stand is too strong and so they won't come back again 
Well, that's their choice, that's their decision. Under a theocracy, and we're not a theocracy, right now we are somewhere between anarchy and monarchy, okay? Or as some might say, malarkey. But it might be two as well, somewhere. And so, under a theocracy, faith and the tenets of faith are to guide the governing actions of rulers and the leadership, whether that leadership is in Washington, D.C., whether it's in Montpelier, whether it's in this pulpit or any other pulpit in America as well. So it has been Satan's goal to silence everything and anything having to do with God and his authority over every aspect of his creation. This has been going on from the day in the Garden of Eden when Satan called into existence God's veracity. Yea, hath God said. Well, Adam knew what God had said. Now, Eve may, you know, not because she was a woman, but because I don't know if Adam was as clear as he could have been or as he should have been. But nonetheless, the devil came to the one whom he felt was the weakest or the least knowledgeable. And folks, I'm going to tell you right now, that happens within families and it happens within ministries all throughout the world. Satan can wreak havoc within congregations or in people's lives where they are ignorant of the word of God or where they become gullible in a lot of instances. And so, as I said, it's been going on since Satan called into existence God's veracity. Then Cain's rising to silence his brother Abel. And I don't think we ever really thought about that. But, you know, Cain didn't like Abel's stand. Abel stood where God would have him to stand. And he did what God would have him to do. And he brought a, a blood sacrifice. He brought a lamb. And, of course, Cain, being the narcissist that he was, decided that he was going to bring the fruit of his own labor. There was no blood offering. So, therefore, there was no atonement. God gave him a chance. I have no idea what the conversation was in the field. Maybe Abel was trying to explain to Cain why it was important for him to be obedient to God. And Cain didn't like it, so he slew his brother. Well, God still stands. God's word still stands, no matter if you get rid of the opposition or not. And so... The redeemed of the Lord, folks, we have a mandate and responsibility to address sin, whether in the pulpit, the home, or within government. Whether it is your party or not your party, or the party that you identify with or align yourself with. And so, in the face of today's society, with the strong arming of government, as they thumb their noses against God and his righteousness. And God's people stand up. You're going to be intimidated. They're going to attempt to intimidate. So those opposed to all things God, they gang up. They band together using various uh, varying means of intimidation. Is what the wicked do, whether yelling, bullying, threatening, or any other means that they can use is to get you to back down and shut up because they don't want you getting the truth out there. They're scared to death of the truth. And the best way to get rid of truth is to silence the truth, those who follow truth. Now, we can't be like, like Herod and say, well, what is, or Pilate, rather, what is truth? 
Well, the Bible says, uh, and Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to me but by God. And that's how we come, uh, come to the Lord. Um, so uh, truth is important, isn't it? And when a society or an individual or a home or even a church gets away from truth or waters down truth, they're not, they're not doing God's work. So Psalm 59 addresses a number of things that we, shall, uh, that we should prepare ourselves for against them once we have an understanding of who they are and what they do. Well, uh, if you're a mature Christian, you already know who they are. And you already know what they use and what they do. Well, last week we looked at, at a couple of them. Number one, we said that Satan will use folks to intimidate us by confrontation. And that's why a lot of Christians don't want to speak up. They don't want to go out there and have to get into a face-to-face argument with someone and yet never to argue with anybody. You speak the truth and walk away. If they don't like it, they want to get in your face and one thing or another, then uh, uh, you just smile and you just kind of say, well, uh, I've got the truth. Someday, hopefully, you'll come to know the truth. And you just walk away. That's all you can do at that particular point because many of them, you're not going to change. They're so vested in their, in their unrighteous lifestyle that only God's going to be able to change them. And you can argue until you blew in the face with 99% of those people and they're not going to change. But secondly, Satan will use, uh, use some to threaten us, to intimidate us. And of course, we've seen that over the last couple of years, whether it was uh, Black Lives Matters, whether it's Antifa, uh, a number of these other groups here. Uh, they come prepared to do whatever they have to do to scare the living daylights out of you. But you just look at them and you say, what? God and I are a majority. And we don't back down from these individuals. Now, you may get a black eye out of it. All right, you get a black guy out of it. Uh, but you stand your ground. We don't have to be intimidated. We don't have to be threatened. And, 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 and based on uh, the, the uh, First Amendment, you have a right to speak your mind. Whether they like it or they don't like it. They feel they can use the First Amendment to speak what they like that we don't like. Well, then we can speak what we like even if they don't like it. But tonight we're going to look at Satan will try to intimidate us to prevent us from doing the thing that is right. So again, we look back in Psalm 59 and verse 3. For lo, they lie in wait for my soul. The mighty are gathered against me, not for my transgression, nor for my sin, O Lord. They run and prepare themselves without my fault. Awake to help me and behold. Now, we know the Bible says that uh, at what time I am afraid, I will run like a coward. <laughs> At what time I am afraid, what? I will trust in the Lord. Now, to make sense of verse 4, it must be read in context, in conjunction with verse 3. So, David, having taken his anointed place upon the throne of Israel, has come to realize the degree of corruption that developed under Saul's reign. Saul was becoming emotionally unstable. He was extremely jealous of David. First of all, he knew that God was with David. And he knew that God had abandoned him for the most part. And he abandoned Saul because Saul abandoned God. He gave Saul opportunity. Saul chose to do things his own way. And so he developed uh, uh, 
a jealousy of David because he knew that God was with David and that someday David would be on the throne and Saul was going to do everything he could to protect the throne for himself and for his oldest son Jonathan. So David, having taken his anointed place on the throne of Israel, has come to realize the degree of corruption that had developed under, under Saul's reign. So Saul's generals and Saul's captains and even the religious leaders, uh, they had taken their positions of power and used it to aggrandize themselves. Not only in authority, but in wealth as well. Now the culmination of verses 3 and 4a, David is stating with confidence that he is innocent of any wrongdoing. Up to this particular point in his life, I'm not so sure he did everything perfectly, but I'm sure he did the very best he could under most circumstances. But the truth of the matter, he said, these guys are seeking me out, not because of what I have done, but because of what I am doing. And that was, he was trying to reestablish righteous reign, righteous authority within the, within the, uh, within the uh, nation of Israel. Now, the word, my fault, in verse 4, is a reference back to verse 3 and the fact that there was nothing that David had done to encourage their wickedness or try to get it to remove him from his position as a king. And so they're going to do everything in their, in, in, in their power to intimidate him. And some of that means that they're going, to have, they're going to have watchers who are going to dog his every shadow so that he's going to always be looking over his shoulder wondering who's going to do him in or who the next person is going to be. So that there was nothing in David's life that would give cause to attack him or to seek his life other than standing for righteousness and rebuking the wicked for their wickedness. There is nothing that the corrupt business people or the corrupt politicians, Republican or otherwise, Democrat or, or what's the other ones here, Libertarians and so on, um, they hate the truth. And that's why they want to silence the Christian. And that's why they're doing everything. Listen, in Canada, they're going at breakneck speed to shut down freedom of speech in Canada. Because as long as they can, they can with the majority, lie like a leaf, then they can get done what they want to get done. And anybody who dares to speak the truth, they'll silence them. And listen, America is following suit very quickly. And so... The point being that these folks were seeking to intimidate David from doing the thing that is right. They were aiming for his soul. They were, able, they were aiming to make him emotionally unstable. So if they could strike fear into David to leave or go into exile, then they would feel that their work is done. Now, you, you have got to know, if you're looking at the latter days, and you know anything about the book of Revelation, and you know about the last several chapters or so, that all the greedy men, if you ever watch the documentaries on the History Channel of the, the J.P. Morgan family, and you can go down there with the DuPont family, and all these other families that have mega millions of dollars in their lives. Well, listen, there are men today like Soros, uh, I'm trying to think of where the other guys are. Soros, um, UPS. Who's head of UPS? I can't think of his name. Any other time, I'd be able to think of it. Or even, even Facebook. These guys are multimillionaires. And folks, they're vying for absolute control 
of every financial entity and of every piece of legislation that's coming out that's going to put more money in their bank account. These are the individuals who are going to make up the last days over in the second Babylon. These are those guys. Now, they are corrupt today because they're at the power. Oh, um, Bill Gates. Bill Gates is one of, those, one of those guys. He is already trying to tell us how we should be living our lives. Now, never mind you, he has a failed marriage because he was an adulterer. And he's going to try to tell us what's best for especially in the area of health. He, he's not a medical doctor, but he's doing all he can to push financially and, and whatever he can do uh, to, uh, uh, to get those vaccines out there so that we have to be inoculated against useless stuff that doctors have absolutely proven it was a farce to begin with, which many people knew. But be that as it may, we're not going down that road here, but... We're talking about the kind of power that's going to come to to an exponential head, if we can, when the church has been raptured out. Right now, it is the church, the body of Christ, that is preventing Satan from completely taking everything over. Everything is being set up. Everything is moving that direction. And when the rapture of the church happens, boy, I mean, it's just going to... I mean, it's going to come out of the woodwork. And so they don't understand that. And so they see anybody who is an actual Bible believer as a threat. Because what we preach, what we teach, and what we live is not just only life-changing, but life-transforming. And they can't have that. Because they see themselves as the cow pokes and you're just the cattle. To be prodded and to be moved and shoved about. You say, well, preach, that's a pretty dismal look. Well, you know what? That's a dismal crowd. If you think that Bill Gates care one whit about you personally, I've got a bridge in London I'd like to sell you. <laughs> so, if they can strike fear into David, then they're going to do all that they can. Cause him to be constantly looking over his shoulder. He couldn't even trust his own cousin, Joab. So, it's the same thing. If, if they could strike fear into him to leave or go in exile, their work was done. The wicked can, cannot practice wickedness as long as the righteous are around because we're going to reveal it. We're going to turn the tables on, the, on those individuals. Uh, uh, at least uh, no, not, not easily so but we will do that and so the whole point of David's enemies as well as the enemies of the gospel today is to silence any and all godly influences now Satan doesn't care if he can shut you up altogether or if he can just kind of get you to, to pollute or dilute uh, the gospel message if he can get you to compromise, and that's what's happened to a lot of our wonderful institutions that really preach the word of God and turned out preachers who really preached the word of God and stood by the King James Version of the Bible. And now again, some of these colleges, uh, they've compromised left and right all over the place. And so you've got to be careful. And so Exodus chapter 15, and this is why we have to realize that we can't capitulate to the world. Under any circumstances, we can't capitulate to the world. Because once we do, then we become worldly or carnal Christians, if you will. 
And uh, when God took Israel or out of out of out of Egypt, He said it was to set a difference between His people and the world. The difference would be that I'm with you. I will be your God. I will lead you in the paths of righteousness. And the world that is involved in idolatry, and idolatry breeds all kinds of corruption, mental corruption, all, all natures of sin, even health issues as a result of that. In fact, God, you look at what God gave to Israel, if you were to go through Exodus and Leviticus and so on, then you would look at, as I said, Exodus chapter, uh, where am I going here, 15, and uh, what verse did I say there? 26. And God says, and, and said, If thou wilt diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God, and will do that which is right in his sight, and will give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes, he said, I will put none of these diseases upon thee which I have brought upon the Egyptians, for I am the Lord that healeth thee. Whoa, what a difference. Following the ways of righteousness is, is, is mentally healthy. It is spiritually healthy. It is emotionally stabilizing. Following the word of God is literally good for our physical health. You ought to get that book, None of These Diseases. That you can go on, uh, probably onto uh, Amazon. I hate going on those places like that. But find a decent Christian distributor and, 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 and get that None of These Diseases. It's a wonderful book. And it deals with Israel. And this doctor who has written the book has, has shown that when we get away from God, listen, Christians ought not to be smoking. Christians ought not to be drinking. To excess, for sure. Christians ought not to be committing adultery. Listen, uh, sexual perversion leads to sexual diseases and the destruction of human lives and human health and, and, and marriages and so on. I mean, you can go down the list here and see that a lot of the things that we're having to deal with today, listen, we could probably empty out a tremendous amount of the psychiatrists and psychologists' offices if we would just follow the Word of God. Amen. Now, there, there are sometimes some things that maybe uh, because you might have been born with only half a brain or something, and I think that's probably where most of the world is right now. But anyway, be that as it may, the whole idea is that, that God says, I'm going to look after you. I'm going to take care of you if you will walk with me. And that is also a part of God showing a difference because turn around and, and, and look at uh, God's people and say, you know, how come that you're not suffering these kind of diseases? How come, how come alcohol is, the, the, I hate to call it a disease because really it's a, uh, it's a disobedience to God, but they call it a disease today. They said, how come you don't have a prevalent problem with alcohol and alcohol disease in your, uh, among you Christians? Well, because we believe what the Bible says. How come you don't have lung cancer, the degree of lung cancer or mouth cancer, uh, uh, well, we don't smoke and we don't uh, chew tobacco, tobacco and we don't uh, snuff snuff or whatever it is they do. Uh, we don't, you know, those things are not healthy. They are not in the least bit good for you whatsoever. My father died from, uh, from, as a result of cancer of the lungs. Clark. 
Yeah, now, yeah, now it's a matter of smoking weed, and of course that's a gateway drug. I don't care what those what those morons have to say about it. I'm telling you right now, there are too many good, solid, fundamental doctors, and they're talking. I'm talking about fundamental with the medical world, and they know that it's a gateway drug. You know, these politicians out there, they're jumping on the bandwagon because it means a lot of money, a lot of revenue. Plus, it gets them votes. Well, you get those potheads into these places, they have no idea who they're voting for. They have no clue. But the truth of the matter is that, you know, now, do things happen like multiple sclerosis and muscular dystrophy? And th- does that happen to believers? Yes, it does. But I've also noticed that those who have a passion for the Lord and they, they, they have this multiple sclerosis or muscular dystrophy, uh, you know what? They have a passion for the Lord. They love the Lord. And, and they have a good mental assent to the disease they've got. And they use what time they've got to be able to use it for God's honor and God's glory to the best of their ability. Uh, you should have been able to talk with Bonnie Rawson. I'll tell you what, her, her, her mother had a wonderful testimony. What a testimony she had. And her mother had most, most muscular dystrophy. Her, her brother, older brother, had it. Her youngest son, Danny. You go up and talk with Danny, and he'll tell you, he'll show you on his computer line right there. He's got, he has got, about, I think he's got about every preacher in there somewhere. <laughs> he's got probably more volumes and archive of messages in there that he listens to uh, and, and deals with uh, along the way. So they're using that time to get themselves close to the Lord. They're also using it as an opportunity to be able to pray for us. That's for sure. So it's just amazing. God said, I'm not going to add any of those diseases. In other words, God's, God said, said, you people down there, and, and you have to realize that those who, who, who get involved with idolatry, uh, look at the silliness and look at the foolishness that they, that they practice in their idolatrous practices. Go to India. Uh, go to any of those other countries where, where we would call them basically third world countries uh, and so on, and see some of the idolatrous practices that they practice. Well, just you say, Brent, I'm glad I was born into a Christian home. <laughs> Amen. So, how is this anyway? Well, people and families and societies are adversely impacted by the absence of godly living, as their conduct or life practices will will bring about. Mental illness caused by STDs, excessive worrying, etc. How about gender dysphoria? Now, if you're a professing Bible-believing Christian, then you're not going to you're not going to support uh, uh, sexual dysphoria. Even listen, if an unsaved doctor who has a conscience and is at least moral says it's wrong, then certainly the people of God ought to say, you know what? It's an absolute disgrace. Any parent who would put their child through that, they don't have an elevator that goes to the top floor. Period. So, but here we are. We're in a society. I mean, can you imagine that some of us, we're, well, I'm almost an octarian. Uh, do we have any octarians in here? Probably not going to raise your hands anyway. Uh, 80 or older. Here we go. <laughs> I'm, a young, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a young guy. <laughs> but anyway, um, we, we knew a different America. Because there was a time in America when churches had an influence on our society. It's, it was a time when godly people had an influence in our society. Not so much anymore. Not really so much. And so what we have is a society that doesn't know God, doesn't care about God, 
and assumes that somehow they're a little bit smarter than God. Next time someone thinks they're smarter than God, you say, I tell you what I want you to do. You think you're smarter than God? Tell you what you do. Then create a human being. And you can't use anything that doesn't exist. Well, that's, that's impossible. I said, well, you're not smarter than God. Period. Right? So we're talking about family breakdown through adultery and fornication and same-sex relationships and absolute disrespect for life, law, and order. That's where we have come. Now, you have a respect for those things, but the world around us does not have a respect for those things. And then very, very quickly here in the time we've got. Fourthly, Satan will try to intimidate us by playing mind games. Mind games, verses 6 through 7. They return at evening, they make a noise like a dog, and go round about the city. Behold, they belch out with, mouth, with their mouth, Swords are in their lips, for who say they doth hear? Now, these two verses may be likened to a cat and mouse game as the wicked seek to take David's life. They make sure that they tell the right people the right words that they get back to David so that David will be always looking over his shoulders. Dogs bark at nighttime. If you've been around a city or so on there, they, they bark. They're a, they're a nuisance, and cats scream and yell and all the things they do. But the people's goal, as David perceives it, is to strike fear in his heart by making sure that he knows they are around, lurking, looming, waiting for an opportunity to do him in. Now, Satan is very apt at using shadows and our emotions through imagination to create an emotional prison of fear. That's a terrible thing to be, is, is, in, a, in, a, is, is in a quote-unquote a prison of fear. Not even know what, knowing what it is that they fear. So Satan does this so that he can silence, he can silence or paralyze us from doing the thing that is right. And so we would do well to remember that 80% of what we worry about never comes to pass. Amen. So Psalm 56 and verse 3 as we close... It says, what time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. God's going to take care of us. And so we worry about most of the time nothing in the end. Or the fact that we do worry doesn't say a whole lot about our walk with God, does it? Proverbs chapter 28 and verse 1 says, the wicked flee when no man pursueth. But the righteous are bold as a lion. So once we understand these things, Satan's relentless attacks meant to intimidate you and I. And we realize the Lord our God is bigger, and we'll say that. We know he's bigger until all of a sudden, there we are, we're standing before Goliath. Then we can and we will be bolder. So let's never forget that we, if we are in the word of God yielded to the Holy Spirit of God know that truth is on our side. Truth is always on our side. John chapter 14 and verse 6 says what? I am the way, the truth, and the life. If you are saved you're on the side of the Lord and the Lord is on your side. John chapter 8 and verse 32 says and ye shall know the truth and the truth shall what? Make you free. You can stand. And I think God gave us another blessing alongside of the 
of the Word of God and the Holy Spirit of God and the knowledge of the Word of God. I believe it's also, we've been born in a country that has a constitution that guarantees us the freedom of speech. So those intimidators, those bullies out there who want to intimidate you, you can be almost like, uh, like Sandeman. Remember that incident not too long ago? What, about a year or two, two ago? Uh, when the uh, stood in his face, young man. They were there in Washington, D.C. for, I think it was a right to life. And this guy was in his face, and he just kind of stood there, smiling at him. And he's beating on the drum. He's just standing there. Well, the liberal news media jumped all over that. They said he was provoking that guy. This young man was provoking this other guy who walked up to him, and they finally showed the video, and they still wouldn't shut their face because they were trying to intimidate. I think he got the last laugh when he got, I don't know how many, thousands upon thousands of dollars because he sued him. Uh, and that may be what it has to come to. We have to sue him for infringing upon our rights. But don't be intimidated. The Lord is our God. We're in his army, and you can expect we're going to have to face some difficult moments in time. Amen? All right, that finishes up the...